0: Watch out, doctor. Doctor, doctor. Give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you.
1: Do you have questions or need advice for all the aches and pains in your life? We're here to help. This is Doc Talk with Hans Olson, presented by University of Utah Health on 975-1280 the zone and the Zone Sports Network.
2: It has been deemed the best two hours of radio on the zone. It's every single Thursday evening. You start with Doc Talk and then it slips right into the movie zone. It is Power Punch power-packed entertainment and information and i cannot be more excited than to be back on air with dr peter chalmers for doc talk dr chalmers how are you i'm doing great how are you dr chalmers how are you i'm doing great how are you can you hear me okay oh, there you are yes i can hear you great thank you so much for being back on doc talk with us
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I know I'm excited to do this.
2: It's be great. Yeah, it feels like it's been way too long, man. I wish you were in studio here so we could arm wrestle.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is not as much fun to do remotely, but it's a different experience. It was more fun in studio for sure.
2: Yeah, no question about it. How's how's life? How's the family? How's the practice? Uh, family's good. Practice is good. We
1: are, I think, at the hospital. We are just doing our absolute best to try and figure out how best to respond to this uh, pandemic. And I'll tell you, our hospital leadership has been phenomenal. I mean, I, I think Utah in general, you look at where we stand relative to the rest of the country, I could not be more happy to be where I am.
2: Uh, No question about that. It really is an incredible state. I can't tell you how much we all appreciate the health care system here in the state of Utah. Every one of the physicians in this state have done a miraculous job of taking care of the individuals with COVID here in the state. And uh, you're listening to Dr. Peter Chalmers here on Doc Talk, brought to you by University of Utah Health. And of course, when you talk about health care, it's the University of Utah Health team that does such an amazing job here in the state. And Dr. is one of the best on that group. And Dr. Chalmers, I'd like to ask you um, kind of before we get started, we do have some callers. And if you're new to DocTalk, 855 340 9663 to jump on any medical questions that you have for Dr. Chalmers. He's ready to take those questions and see if we can get you some advice and get you back to good health. But dr chalmers i'm just interested how how are things coming back around for orthopedic surgery and and for recovery and for clinics are are you starting to feel like things are getting back to the new normal for you guys we are we are
1: starting to get back to normal for sure we we're doing it in a very careful way to make sure that we're not going to spread covid or put people at risk for it um but um, things are starting back to normal as as you know um you know one of the things that happens with my job is that people are going to continue getting injured. And it's, I'll tell you, it's been a frustrating couple of weeks because we still had clinic. People still came to me and said, can you fix it? And for a short period of time, I had to say no. And I will tell you, that is a very frustrating experience. I'm really glad we're able to get back into the operating room. Doing our best to help
2: people and i'm glad i'm glad you are able to do that as well dr chalmers and we've got so many great listeners this is our fourth week in a row that we've brought doc talk to the listeners and i'm getting so much response from people saying thank you for being back thank you for taking phone calls thank you for helping the listeners and and again if you're if you're just tuning in for the first time to doc talk Call that phone number now. You can jump on the line with Dr. Chalmers. And if you have an injury, a car accident, a knee that's been banged up, a bad skiing accident, um, maybe you got problems in your shoulders, your elbows, maybe your kid was out on the tramp and dislocated an ankle or a joint, this is what we're here for, to answer those questions on how we can help and how Dr. Chalmers can help and how the University of Utah Health can help. So eight five five three four zero nine six six three. Doctor Chalmers, you ready to take some phone calls?
1: Yeah, let's go to it. That sounds great.
2: All right, David, you are up first with the great Doctor Chalmers. Go ahead,
3: Doctor. Uh, thanks for doing this. This is awesome. You take your time to do this. Um. So my question, my question is. I keep hearing, you know, I listen to Gordon, you know, it's one of those things I do, and um, he's always talking about safe. We can't do anything until it's safe. Well, you know, playing football has never been safe, but we do things to mitigate that and make it safer. What, what do you think the definition of safe is when it comes to this virus? Is it zero risk or what do you think?
1: You know, I think that's a great question. I mean, obviously, that's the thing with sports is that, by their very nature, a lot of sports are not safe. In fact, I think some of the, that sometimes that a little bit of that is what makes it fun is that we push ourselves, we push ourselves to the edge. Um, I I think that we're that we're struggling with that in in all of in all of the different sports right now. You know, obviously, that's that's been a big question for baseball as they get restarted. Questions like. You know is there an acceptable transmission rate between players um and when when would we be at that transmission rate and or questions like with you know like what would happen with the with the nba where you know if we if we diagnose with rudy with covid at what point can we say well there's a certain number of players that are just going to get the virus in the community so therefore it's acceptable for them to return to doing their job um as much as the rest of us are returning to do our jobs i I think that we have to keep in mind here that that we're talking about people's lives and we have to try and do our best to reduce the spread of this this illness until we have a more permanent solution like herd immunity or a vaccine. Um, and the, the issue with sports ultimately is that none of us, while I think we do need it for our entertainment, there's there's nothing that, you know, and, and for our jobs, you know, there's there's nothing essential about it. That being said, I, I I don't know how you feel about this, Hans. I, I think that sports play a huge role in people's motivation. I think there's a lot of people that draw a lot of inspiration from them. And I, I've thought there's probably a measurable effect on a lot of people's lives by the fact that they don't have that outlet. They don't have that they don't they don't have that coming to their lives right now to say, like, this inspires me to to strive for something greater in my day to day life.
2: I got to imagine that that's been a difficulty for a lot of people, you know, because you've had that consistency of games and games and games and everything's been taken away for two and a half months, but it's it's actually a really kind of deep question to ask in regards to safety and what we have to risk because Dr. Chalmers, I think when you're talking about this virus, you really got to just start by talking age categories and at-risk personnel because it seems like some are more at risk than others and 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 then others are not as much at risk and i got to imagine that that's a hard thing to weigh.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, and that's certainly a lot of our athletes are in the lowest risk category, but low and I think that's the caller's question is what is safe? Is low risk low risk is not no risk.
2: Yeah, and i you know Correct. and David, i you know to your question I think that that is an, an individual answer. I think that each person is probably going to have their their own identification of what uh, what level of risk that they want to throw into this. And and you bring up a really good point. I, I knew every time I stepped onto a football field, I could take a knee to the side of the head and, and I, I could never walk again. I could lose my life. I knew I was putting my life at risk. And there is a certain amount of risk that you – Put out there on a football field.
1: awesome. one of the, one of the interesting things I think that we're talking about here, and that I think is key to your question is how much more risk are we really talking about right now as compared to how much risk there usually is? Um and I, I think that that additional risk is probably minimal, but the problem is this that the risk of death in most professional sports is is vanishingly small. I mean, the number of deaths that occur on the field in the sports that we watch, watch maybe barring NASCAR, is, is really, really low. Even in NASCAR, it's really, really low. This coronavirus is one of those, un, while it's unusual in an un, a young person that it causes death, that's, that's, that's one of those things where even if it's unusual, it's only gonna, you know, if let's say that we were to go back, it's only gonna take one athlete dying for us to say what are we doing you know was this this really did this really was this really worth it so i think that's part of the reason everyone's been cautious is nobody wants that to happen nobody wants to to feel like i was the commissioner that was responsible for that um so i i agree with you that it's just it's it's just hard and i i think that I think that we've done the right thing so far, but um, I do wonder when we can get back to it. Because, as I mentioned, I do think that sports play an important people, important role in people's lives, whether they're athletes or spectators.
2: Doctor Chalmers, the more we learn about this virus, are, are we finding are, are we are we learning more? Are we really gathering that information? Are, are we finding it to be more dangerous or, or less dangerous than originally thought?
1: I. um I think we're learning a ton about this virus right now. And I think what we're learning is that on average, it's probably less dangerous than it was originally thought. Um, And that's because the number of asymptomatic cases, I think, is probably larger than was initially thought. Uh, For instance, like if you look at the just the testing at the University of Utah, like we've done some testing where we just test. We're testing every patient we operate on. So those are asymptomatic people, people who have just been out in the community. About 1% of those people are positive. Wow! So there's about 1 in 100 people just walking around out there that have coronavirus that would say, what do you mean I have coronavirus? I feel fine. I don't have any symptoms at all. So when you take that number, it makes our denominator so much larger in terms of the number of people who have had it who don't really have problems related to it.
2: David, any other questions that you'd like to throw at Dr. Chalmers?
1: Um, well, yes, as a
3: matter of fact, if it's okay. So, doctor, as we talk about, um, you know, safety and how sports affects other people and that. Now, I'm I'm going to get a little emotional here. My mother-in-law just died two days ago in an assisted living. I'm so sorry and for that. And she has, I know, it was so sudden. That's but awful. The thing is, since since the lockdown we just watched her go down until she finally died how i mean are we taking that into account what what just the lockdown is doing to someone i bet if we pulled some of the people in the assisted living places you want to live with the risk and hide your grandchildren you know what i mean
1: yeah i know i do and i um so the interesting thing to me about this is first off, I'm so sorry for your loss, and and I you you always wonder in those situations like what are the what are the factors that played a role here and was the lockdown one of them and those are the kind of things that'll keep keep you up at night, and I hope I hope that you'll be able to have someone to talk to about it to find some peace there because that's that's a hard that's a, a hard road, my, my friend. Um, the coronavirus affects everything we do, and the thing that's interesting to me about it is the lockdown. I mean, that's a that's one where I think you can. You can draw a thread, you can make an indirect connection. There's a lot of things where the connection is is even less tenuous, is even more direct. I mean, like, for instance, in my practice, there's literally 100 people that I saw in the space of six weeks who said who I normally would have helped that I instead said, we're not going to operate on you right now. We have to wait. And it's it's a lot of those people, the problems we were going to fix have gotten worse. They've suffered with those conditions in the inter- intervening time. Um, some of those, some of those people may have had problems that we could have fixed one way that now we will have to fix another way that may not work as well. We are, and we are in the lesser stages of it. If you look at New York city there, I mean, there were a lot of things that we would normally do that were in medicine that are considered necessary that were not being done. You know, I, I've, I have friends that are doctors in New York that told stories about, you know, for instance, normally if someone had an acute appendicitis, like an infection in their appendix, that would be removed considered an emergent surgery. Those patients were coming in. They were saying, "No, we can't do that right now. We're too busy with coronavirus." So you're just going to get antibiotics until the appendix bursts, and you have bacteria all over your abdomen, and then we're going to put a drain in, and you'll probably have problems for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think there's a, a huge number of people who have been harmed by this indirectly. And so when we talk about the death count, as though it's the only thing, it's so much larger than that. So much larger that we're going to be measuring this in studies for decades.
2: Dr. Chalmers, I'm so grateful that you'd be willing to talk about that. And and David, my heart just breaks for you, brother. It just, it absolutely breaks for you. And I think David is just one of many that is suffering effects that are outside of the, the, the contraction of COVID. And to your point, Dr. Chalmers, it probably goes much deeper than we could ever imagine and and there would there would be many categories that we'd have to dive into to see all the negative effects from the lockdown as compared to the negative effects from the actual virus. and David, again, my heart breaks for you and uh, and Dr. Chalmers, thank you for talking about that because I, I know that that isn't the easiest thing to talk about
1: well it's it's just so hard as a doctor because we we try so hard to help people and I just hate it when. There are things that get get in our way where we're trying to do the right thing, and it's not clear what it is. And along al- along the way, we may, you know, may, may, maybe we 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 find that we 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 we're juggling to try and find what is the what is the most right of the wrong answers we have available.
2: Mm. Tough things to weigh, no question. And. And, David, you've got every right to feel one way or the other about it. I don't think anybody should be able to change your mind on it. Uh, you know, and you you went through something that none of us have had to go through, at least not in this room and, and not with Dr. Chalmers. And so we can definitely feel that heartache and, and appreciate your story. And you've got the right to feel the way you feel. All right, let's uh, reset and jump back out the phone calls. We'll go to Alex. You're up next with Dr. Chalmers. Go ahead, Alex.
4: Hi, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for the uh, the opportunity. I I really appreciate you guys doing this. I think it's really cool that you're willing to take the time to to do it. Um, so I uh, right before, uh, so I, I've been having uh, uh, some knee pain and some knee issues for about a year and a half on my um, on my uh, right knee, and and so right before COVID, I I had went into uh, an orthopedic surgeon in Lehigh, and he they, they did an MRI and, and I guess I had a tear in my patellar tendon and, uh, we were getting ready to do, a, a, something that he called like a, like a 10 X procedure where he was going to go in and, and take out some of the damaged uh, tissue on my patellar tendon and then flood my, my knee with stem cells. And I'm kind of just waiting to do that for when that's a, that's an available thing to do, uh, like in hospitals and stuff. Uh, but mm-hmm. I wanted to get your opinion on it and kind of like, yeah, just, just learn more about what that actually is and, and, and kind of get your opinion on it.
1: Yeah, so it's super – it's it's a great question, by the way. And first off, I'm sorry to hear about, about your knee. I hope you'll be able to get some some care for it soon. Yeah, um, I appreciate the, that. The, the 10X procedure, this is the basic way that it works. So um, usually what the doctor will do is use ultrasound to find the area of the tendon that's most diseased. And I would be willing to bet that you have what's a condition called tendinosis. It's a it's a breakdown within the tendon. It's a diseased area of tendon. So it's often not a complete full thickness retracted tear. And usually it's this situation. It's not like there was some huge discrete injury where all of a sudden the knee is completely blown apart. It's more that it's a chronic nagging, won't get better kind of thing. Um, yeah, absolutely. So under ultrasound, they'll they can see the area where Normally a tendon has these kind of parallel fibers like a rope and they'll find an area where it looks disorganized, where those fibers are no longer, they're no longer so nicely, um, no, nicely parallel. While looking under ultrasound, they can then stick a probe into that area. Now exactly what the 10X procedure does is a little bit uh, debatable. There's some disagreement as to exactly how it works, but this is my best understanding and I think our best understanding for what it probably does. So that ultrasound probe, that, that probe you stick in, it releases energy into the tissue around it. And the idea is that it's supposed to break up that tissue that can't heal itself. And then it's attached to suction, and you can then suck out all of all of the stuff that's then disorganized that hasn't been able to heal. The, yeah. There are some doctors that are then injecting something back in, in its place, and it sounds like that's what your doctors recommended with some growth factors in PRP or stem cells. Yeah. And um, I, that part is a little bit more controversial. I we, I we don't usually do that second part when we do that procedure in the elbow, for instance, which is which is probably the place where I use that 10x procedure the most. Um, but I would if you have a doctor that you like and trust, I'm not going to tell you that doctors doing the wrong thing. I would tell mm-hmm. you that, that you should lean on that doctor's experience. If he says this is what you need to do for the patella, then that's what you should do. But um, the Tenex procedure basically helps to h- helps to take those areas of tendon that are not normal and break them down and suck them out so that new tendon can heal there. Hmm. In the elbow, how, at least, how... that has about an 80% success rate. It's pretty successful. Hmm. Um, we use it most for a condition called tennis elbow. Um, and I'll be honest with you, it's kind of been a game changer in that condition. It's one thing you should know before you get into this is this is, while it's not a surgery, there's definitely a recovery associated with this. So it's a little bit different from a cortisone shot you get, often you feel great, you know, the cortisone shot calms down the inflammation, you're back at it. This definitely involves some downtime. Um, Oftentimes we tell people that there's a period of time in which the tendon is healing. So we often will limit people for six weeks after that procedure to try and make sure that they get the most benefit out of it. And also because they're often sore for that period of time because during that period of time, it's healing. Right. Um,
4: how, how come you don't inject? Uh, how come like at your practice, you guys don't inject anything back in? Is that something I should be considering or
1: we um, we don't because there's there are, at least in the areas I treat in the shoulder and the elbow. There's really no evidence that that, that that's necessary, that that makes any difference. Gotcha. Um, we're really trying to understand how best to use stem cells and growth factors. And I think those things are going to make a huge life-changing difference in the future. And I think we probably don't have those things optimized yet enough to an extent where for most things they make sense. There are some select places where they really, really work. And I just, um, it doesn't mean they can be used everywhere. Um, this is a situation, the situation you describe is one that makes some biologic sense. But um, I also there's another piece to this, and this is a piece where I don't I don't want to criticize anyone, but mm-hmm. um, often that portion is uh, costs cash. It's not covered by insurance. So it's a profit center for that, for the doctor and for the practice that's performing. It. Right. So that, right. that becomes a conflict of interest because the doctor then will say, well, I think it works pretty well, um, you know, especially because I get paid three thousand dollars every time I do it. Huh. Um, and <laughs> yeah. That, okay. Right. So that gets a little bit like, oh man, is that really? Does it really work, or does that doctor just like making three thousand dollars? You know. Totally. Um, that makes sense. And I'm not, I'm not saying that of your doctor, and I'm not trying to say that that's most doctors that do it, but um, I just think it makes it harder for us to, when 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 things are arranged like that, it makes it harder for us. Just like, just like if you were to go to the mall and try on a pair of jeans and then ask the lady selling the jeans do you think that these jeans make my butt look good?
0: Mm-hmm. She's going to be
1: like, <laughs> yeah. you look amazing. You yeah. should buy those jeans right now, right? You don't trust that. Yeah. Way, a thing, <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. Same thing. But she needs the commission. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah that makes sense. And 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 uh, by the way Dr. Chalmers thanks for bringing that up and thanks for kind of putting that out there because that should raise everybody's eyebrows is is it is it fair to ask a, a physician you know if if they're mentioning this is it fair to ask the physician um how beneficial is this it, if if insurance doesn't cover it is that typically a red flag?
1: Well, yes and no. I mean there the, the thing with insurance so this gets we're we're really going to get into the weeds here. The problem with insurance is this that the insurance company doesn't want to pay this is their this is basically the the business model of an insurance company. They want to get the most number of people signed under their plan and then pay the fewest number of claims to maximize their profit. right. So if you let it if if it was only up to the insurance company, nothing would be covered. you know what I mean? or at least at least a, a small enough amount that people enough enough people would sign up for their. And it's more complicated than that. Of course, I'm not saying insurance companies are bad people, but yeah. these are these are their incentives. Yep. So it doesn't just because the insurance company doesn't cover it doesn't mean that it's not effective factor or they won't help you. Um, but um, I do think that it's worth asking the doctor, you know, like how how much does this cost, and then, you know, is what what is the evidence for this? You know, do you have do do you and not just what has been your anecdotal experience, but are are there published results yeah. to show that this is effective or at least more effective than more effective than 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 not adding the stem cells like the question i think here would be okay doctor i've heard that this 10x is good do you have any evidence that you can suggest to me that so, shows that the stem cells in addition to the 10x is better than the 10x alone hmm. yeah that makes sense i'll definitely ask him yeah
2: it's great stuff, Doctor Chalmers. It just shows your level of integrity, and and I think hopefully, Alex, that'll kind of help you along the way. Make good decisions for the the financial ramifications of this procedure, and and also for just the overall health benefits. So, appreciate the call, Alex. Really, thank you.
1: And there's another piece to this, Alex, which is that you may say, you know, Doc. My college is, you know, kids college is paid for my retirements paid for. This is really bugging me. I just want to give myself the best chance. Hmm. The good news is that there is zero evidence that stem cells or PRP are harmful. So I don't think it's likely to make this any worse. So if you were like, okay, you know, it's not that expensive. Give it a shot. It's really (laughs) bugging me. I've got the money, you know, that's a different situation than if you're like, God, like I was, I don't really have the money. I'm like, you know, I, 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 I kind of need that money for other things, but the doctor told me it might help. Like that's a different. You know what I mean? You have to kind of. That's totally. different for every person. Yeah.
2: Great call, totally. Alex. Thank you, and and good luck on that procedure. We appreciate it. Eight five five three four zero nine six six three. That opens up a phone line. You're listening to Doctor Chalmers here on Doc Talk, brought to you by University of Utah Health. Again, eight five five. 340 9663 really running the gambit on conversation right now questions all over the board and that's what we're here for and and dr chalmers very kind and giving of his time and obviously we'll keep these phone lines open 855-340-9663 go back out to the phone lines to patrick you're up next with dr chalmers go ahead patrick
0: Hey, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to take my call. It's an extremely stressful time right now, and I'm in the construction industry. Um, Just... Uh, in February it got really really sick I don't know if I had COVID then or not I don't know how to get the any anybody test or whatever but I did have one of my workers his wife tested positive um, on Monday and we've all worked around this other guy uh, a few of us and he tested positive and so our bosses told us okay you gotta go get tested how long does it take for it to germinate to even show positive? It, let's say if I was infected on Tuesday or or Monday, how long is that going to take to even show a positive test? It'll be, it'll be positive by now if it's going to be.
1: Um, All right. You should, so, you should go... Right. Yeah the, um, the, test, the, the test will be positive before you have symptoms. That's the reason why okay. the test is so helpful. Hmm. Um, the situation you're in where you have a contact with someone who's positive, our data at the University of Utah has, people in that situation have about a 7% positivity rate. So still more likely than not you won't have it, but it's actually higher than you might think. Certainly much, seven times higher than the the normal rate. Um, The other thing, do you guys wear masks where you work?
0: Yes, um, we do wear masks. And he was wearing a mask when I was with him. Absolutely. Um but still I might have touched one of his tools or talking to him on the supervisor and was working with him at the job site, but uh and the and the gentleman that takes his paperwork every day obviously he's getting tested and i called to get tested today and i have to go somewhere else i guess they said if you're asymptomatic we can't do it here at the uh, Instacare. you have to go to the mall or whatever um yeah because i don't have any symptoms I but i definitely want to get tested as quick as i can i have sure. a family at home and right but anyway and my wife works at a youth facility which that's danger danger i can't let her you know get infected by me so i guess i got to quarantine myself in the house (laughs) i don't know what to do exactly but anyway so Um, if it was positive it'll only take a few days to show up yeah it would be positive by now the test takes about
1: 48 hours to come back it can come back sooner than that but that's about average so that's the other thing that the, that there is to this is there's going to be you're going to test and then there's a period of time when you're going to be waiting and it's you'll be that'd be a lot anxiety provoking.
2: Hey, Doctor Chalmers, thing- would you suggest for him to uh, kind of socially isolate himself from his family for that 48 hour period? Or?
1: <laughs> I um I think that does make some sense. The problem is that um you know and they we've a lot of healthcare workers have done that. Um, people that are high risk they've gone to live in tents in their garages to be honest um the 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 only thing that i would be a little wary of here is just that um if you are positive it's really hard to isolate yourself from your family for two weeks especially if you have children you know you know, the last thing you want to do is tell your wife i'm not going to help for the next two weeks you know um, right the um
0: well, the last thing you should know is at grandma's for a couple of weeks she has been there that and She's helps. just staying there so good 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 yeah already i appreciate you guys i will get tested as quick as i can and then go from there
2: patrick thank well, you so much go ahead dr. Glad to hear you're
0: feeling okay yeah, yeah take care
2: um so dr chalmers um he said that, you know, let's say he was in contact Monday or Tuesday. We're coming up, yeah. you know, obviously Thursday evening. Let's say he gets tested tomorrow. That test would show, even in a three-day or four-day span, it would show the positive with that contact? Yes. Okay. That's great news. And that, that, that is significant for that testing, if you're able to identify it that quickly.
1: Look, I got to I got to tell you, I got to hand it to our testing facility here, the the lab at the University of Utah, ARUP. They have done an unbelievable job with testing. (laughs) Like when I look at where everyone else is, as compared to we are, we are testing so much more than every other state. And it's thanks to that lab um, and it's thanks to a great job they've done. And um, I think it's in part because you may not know this, but, you know, the University of Utah, one of the things that makes it Unique is that there are several states around us that don't really have large academic medical centers So we see patients there from idaho and wyoming and montana and large parts of nevada I see patients from colorado um the the Because of that our lab system is just much more well developed because we run tests from all those places So I think we've just you living where you live, me me being part of what I'm part. Where I think we were particularly well prepared for this kind of situation, and I'm again, I'm just glad to be where I am.
2: Man, I am too. You know, and I've said that a thousand times on air since this whole thing broke. And Austin, our producer here for Doc Talk, I know he feels the same way. I mean, I, I literally feel like we're living in the best state in the union. To guard ourselves to be protected to have the health care all the needs we, we, we have in front of us and then the testing it's been it's been spectacular and mm-hmm. so much credit goes out to so many great people that have put their time out there and all their efforts and gathered their resources and it, it's been spectacular to watch from a radio's a radio media person's point of view or perspective it's been really incredible and obviously a lot of appreciation and thanks goes to University of Utah Health as well. Yeah, you guys have been spectacular, no question about it. 855-340-9663 to jump on the phone line. Leno, you are next with Dr. Chalmers. Go ahead, Leno.
5: Hey, guys. Um, I feel like I have a pretty generic question, but uh, in the last month or so I've been needing something. Uh, there is a feel like a constant debate about vitamins, should you take them, should you not take them, supplements do they really help some people seem to love them, other people say it's throwing money down the toilet and in particular I have atrial fibrillation and I've had some people say you should try CoQ10, some say "Ah, it's a waste, I need to go beyond my own education for maybe just some advice or a simple opinion, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think this is a This is a super interesting area um coenzyme q10 is a that's that we describe it as like a vitamin but it's it's actually a substance that's inside your body so when you take that as a pill you're essentially supplementing your body's own activity with that particular enzyme Um, i will tell you there's debate about that particular issue and I, I, I uh, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. so I don't know the most up-to-date literature on that supplement for atrial fibrillation specifically. So I don't want to. I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Do you have a Do you have a, a cardiologist you see or a heart doctor for uh, your atrial fibrillation? I've actually had two, and one has said, "Take it." The other one said,
5: eh, "I don't know." <laughs> so you know, I don't know. You know, everybody's got an opinion on it, it seems like. But I I would love just your opinion.
1: It, so I have, a, just I have an opinion 30 minutes on that on the, mix. Oh, go ahead. I have an opinion on that mix of opinions. So here's the beautiful thing. It's not going to hurt you, and it's actually not that expensive. You can buy it at Costco. It comes in a giant right. jug. It's not – it doesn't <laughs> – like my – I know this because my, my mother-in-law takes it. Um, it doesn't, you know, you can get an orange flavor. It doesn't taste bad. It's not, doesn't complicate your life. It's not going to hurt you. So why not? Fair enough. The, um, can, can I they're, ask, they're, does she feel any effects from it? Um, like, she doesn't have atrial like, fibrillation. So I don't, it's hard for me to know whether, I, like I don't know oh, that it's going right. to affect that particular condition. She takes it for um, another reason. Oh, okay. Um. But oh, um. Not sure. Yeah. The um, there there are a thousand other vitamins and minerals and supplements, and um, I do think there's <laughs> yeah. probably some that are really effective. There are specific circumstances in which they are critical. Like there are definitely circumstances in which people are vitamin deficient. By far, the most common of the vitamin deficiencies in our nation is vitamin D and um, that's particularly um, prevalent in places where there's not as much sunlight. That's how you get vitamin D is through the sun. So I generally recommend pretty much everyone should take a calcium vitamin D supplement. It's really important for bone health. Hmm. There's some evidence that it may actually play a role in immunity in the coronavirus but I think that's evolving. We don't really know.
2: Hmm. <laughs> but but uh, you would suggest to take a, it, it's just a. Is it a daily vitamin or is it a supplement? I, a replacement? I take it every day. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And huh. it's it's calcium and vitamin D essentially.
1: Yeah, you can get it at Target. It's over the counter.
2: Um, and then. any uh, yeah that is you know that is such an in-depth question as well i mean that's something that you could go on for days and days i mean so many debates and you know just coming just coming through a, a collegiate and nfl supplement system i've had different trainers that have told me you know different vitamins will will help me in certain areas of gains and they they all have their own opinion, and it's really tough. Dr. Chalmers, in regards yeah. to that, would would you just say, um educating yourself as as much as you can uh, with different opinions that come in or or how do you decipher what is real and what is what is a sales pitch?
1: Yeah, I mean I think this is a great question. and part of the reason this is, this becomes really tricky is because, so when you when you go to that aisle at the pharmacy or the drugstore or Target or wherever you go to the grocery store that has the vitamins, those substances are not regulated the same way that medicines are regulated. So this is a little people don't know this. Those they market themselves as medicines like you should take this for joint pain, for instance, but they're regulated like food as in when they regulate them there's no one keeping track to make sure that whatever it says is in there is actually in there Hmm. um instead they just regulate them to make sure that they're not spoiled you know and that they're nutritional when it says you know for instance that they have 100 calories that they actually have 100 calories so that's this is that's really important for you to know because that means that when you buy a vitamin you may not when you buy three different for instance if you buy three different brands the same vitamin you're not necessarily going to be getting the same thing in each of those, unlike a medication where if you get, you know, Advil, for instance, if you buy it from Bristol Myers Squibb or if you buy it from Pfizer, it's the same thing because it's regulated by the FDA. Um, so that's that's the thing. Number one is you got to know what you're buying and find a reputable source for your vitamins. And this is another place where you probably, you know, you have to little careful of what you're buying. Hmm. The second thing I would say is that um, there is an entire category of professionals that work on this. So there's an entire category of of nutritionalists that are experts in this. And the best thing to do is go see one and then they'll test you. They'll look at all of your levels and they'll say, look, based on your diet, you're not getting enough of this or that. And therefore we're going to supplement you in this or that way to get you where you need to be instead of just take this pill that contains everything. And then, you know, you, you may get more or less of everything that you need. So for people who have a concern, people who say, look, doc, I'm not, I feel like I'm like, I, this happens to me all the time. And people say like, I don't feel like I don't heal as well, or I feel like I get sick more often than I used to, or I feel like I just don't have as much energy. And I'm not sure why not infrequently we say you should go see a nutritionist talking about your diet, have them measure your vitamin levels and figure out how to fix that.
2: That's great suggestions, great advice right there from Dr. Chalmers, and uh, we really appreciate that. Big thanks to Leno for the call, and a lot of deep kind of in-depth questions. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back to those phone calls. Open lines at 855-340-9663. If you've got a question for the doc, give us a call at 855-340-9663. It's Dr. Peter Chalmers. It's Doc Talk brought to you by University of Utah Health here on 97.5, 12 into the zone and the zone sports network.
1: You're listening to Doc Talk, presented by University of Utah Health on 975 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports
0: Network.
2: You are listening to Doc Talk. So many great physicians here from the University of Utah Health. I mean, you could go right down the list Dr. Monson, Dr. Mack, Dr. Peters, and of course, today we've got Dr. Peter Chalmers. One of the best, and Doctor Chalmers, I, I told Austin, I said, if I call him Mario Chalmers, it, it, it it's going to be meant as a compliment, but just catch me on that, <laughs> and just you know, take me back to square one.
1: As long as you're not talking to me, calling me Superintendent Chalmers, I'll, I'll be okay. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. no, I will not miss up on that one. It, it would it would definitely be the sports figure. Hey, are you missing sports yet, Doctor Chalmers?
1: I, you know, I've hugely missed basketball over the past two months. I was so excited about the end of the season for the Jazz. It was so uncertain. It was so exciting. I'm, I was bummed. I was super bummed.
2: No question about it. it was so bummed. And then I was brokenhearted The other day, the news broke, and obviously the procedure has been released in detail with Boyan Bogdanovich and his season-ending surgery that that he just went through. Um, I don't know how much you know about the wrist injury that he went through, but you know mm-hmm. what is the what what's kind of the return timetable for uh, a surgical procedure in the wrist like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel terrible for for Boyan. I mean, I think that he he played really hard this year, you know, and he quickly endeared himself to the fans. And he's, I mean, he's become such an important part of their offense. Um, and I think that he's probably. It sounded, at least from my understanding, like he's played through this for a while, which I think is, you know, he's he's a tough tough kid. I um I you know he's he's undergoing what's called a um, a, a ligament a ligament repair, I think it is, in his wrist and um, that ligament's got to heal Ligaments, the, the ligaments take some time to heal um this is that and that's one of those things that there's there's bio that's just biology you know that can't really be rushed um i'm really hopeful that they um they'll have him have him for next season or next season being it is being what it is we'll we'll see what happens with that um and um i just wish him the best of luck in his recovery and um, well, i think we're all here thankful in utah for what he's done for the offense and um i think i think i think that hopefully he'll be back in force once it heals
2: I'm kind of going against uh, radio code, and I'm actually talking with Dr. Mack as we're speaking here, going back and forth with Dr. Mack in regards to uh, my daughter and uh, a situation that she's in. And Dr. Mack just said, hey, ask Dr. Chalmers about whether Tommy John surgery can make a kid pitch faster. Does that ring a bell? No. My goodness,
1: what is it? What is, is? I I feel like he's constantly out there pulling the strings. He's like poking me from afar. Um, yeah, no, we actually studied that um, that exact question because it was originally thought that Tommy John surgery could tighten the elbow and could actually give you more velocity. Yeah, and on on average, pitchers lose about 0. 0.6 miles per hour. We studied that in the MLB. I I did a study where we looked at seven million pitches. Oh my god! And d- pulled out those pitchers that had Tommy John and looked at their velocity before and after. as well as the distribution of pitches um you know like fastball curveball those kind of things and on average they pitched a little bit slower it's a it's a very slight decline but but there is a measurable decline in velocity after that procedure unfortunately
2: Wow, I didn't think I'd get an actual answer. I <laughs> Doctor Mac was setting me up for some. How many pitches did you guys watch? You get. You got
1: to tell him he's got to try harder if he wants to come up with a better
2: question. <laughs> I'm hoping. He's, I'm hoping he's listening, but I'll, I'll send him the message back hey uh by the way everybody that 's listening this is doc talk it 's your opportunity to doc talk with a uh, board certified physician from the University of Utah Health. These are our great physicians right here in the state of utah and dr Chalmers i 'm so glad you've brought this up multiple times. I am so blessed and so glad to live in the state of Utah where we have an incredible health care system and i I think our government and I think that our health care workers and I think our system has worked really well here in the state of Utah. And to that, we just recently had most counties go from orange into yellow and Austin was just telling me that it was breaking uh just a couple of minutes ago that the governor is pushing Summit County and Wasatch County into the yellow as well now. So Summit County, Wasatch County being pushed into the yellow, it's it it continues to be good news on the COVID front. Dr. Chalmers Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's jump back out to the phone calls, and we'll go to David. You're up next with Dr. Chalmers. Go ahead, David.
6: Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I uh, fractured my elbow really bad about last July, August. So I've got a plate in there. Uh, I'm getting back into mountain biking, and I wonder if I need to worry at all about what I've heard called stress risers or uh maybe a a point where I could refracture it at the end of the plate or where a screw is. Is the, um, is the plate bug like, like, is it does it bug you, the plate? No, it doesn't bug me. I'm not wanting to get it removed. I'm just getting back into active mountain biking and kinda starting to dial up the the amplitude a little. But yeah, you know, I mostly sorry. want to make sh-
1: good. I was gonna say I'm sorry I'm sorry to hear hear about your, your injury and I'm glad to hear that you're you're getting get back out there. That's that's always always heartening to hear that someone's had an injury but they're kinda overcoming the fear that comes with that and the that their elbows recover enough they feel like they can get back to their activity. That's exactly what we like to hear as surgeons. The um the 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 plate is is actually protective there there is a stress riser at the end of the plate but that stress riser is because there's normal bone and the plate itself is stronger than normal bone so what i would tell you here is that um, you're less at risk with the plate in than you are with the plate out which you would you should be worried about is if the plate comes out then there are holes in the bone where the screws go in and those are much bigger stress risers than, than at the end of the plate so I would, okay. I I would not lose too much sleep over this. If you were to have the plate taken out, if it were to say bother you, and I, I certain's like I wouldn't, but I wouldn't recommend that be done before a year. And even then, I would seriously consider leaving it in unless you were having really a lot of symptoms with it. Um, then I would probably take at least three months off of mountain biking to let those holes fill in with new bone.
6: Awesome. I think I'll just leave it in. It's about my third or fourth plate, so. So far, they've done um, done all right, and I don't really feel like anything's limiting me. So mentally, I just kind of want to know that I'm I'm good to go and just keep having fun.
1: I think you could you you may fall down and break you know at the end of the plate, but I think that if you were to have that fall, had the pl- had, let's pretend, compare that to had you never broke it, had you never had the plate to begin with, you probably would break in the same space or a slightly different place. So don't think that the plate itself increases the risk for fracture. It just changes maybe where the fracture occurs, if there's right. one. Right. Often.
6: Awesome. All right. Good to know.
2: Thank you so much for your call. Appreciate it. Eight five five three four zero nine six six three. That's exactly how it's done. Uh, is that is there a rule of thumb specifically to some of the more minor hardware that's left on bones or? in joints in regards to getting it off or leaving it on or taking it out what is your kind of your general suggestion on that well
1: it depends a lot on the age in younger in younger people and kids often if we put a plate in we'll take it out because it can otherwise change the way in which the bone grows um the um in in, in most adults if the if the hardware is not bothering you we'll leave it in place and you'll never know that it's there and it won't cause any long-term issue There's actually been a lot of really careful research to look. You know, a lot of people were initially worried that if you left metal in the body, that it would release metal ions and the metal ions would cause cancer or the metal ions would poison you. And there's been very careful research to show that that is not true.
2: Hmm.
1: And you do not need to worry because you have a metal plate in that it's going to release metal ions and those metal ions are going to poison you.
2: Yeah, because I've left uh, I've I've left a plate and a couple of screws in on my hand for the last twenty years, so that's good to know that it's not. Don't worry about that causing any further damage. Well, Doctor Chalmers, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you, and thanks for fielding some pretty difficult calls today. And and Austin and I were talking; that was those were two of the first COVID questions that we've really answered through the first five weeks of having Doc Talk back. So we appreciate your candor and your willingness to come on with us.
1: Oh, it's been my pleasure as always. Thanks for having me, and um, I wish you guys the best of luck. That is Stay do- safe out there.
2: Oh, we will. And you too, Dr. Chalmers. That is Dr. Peter Chalmers with University of Utah Health. Make sure you keep it tuned in. Join us right back here next week for Doc Talk.